I would say that if they want to sell the business, the sooner they can get that team more into the day-to-day of the business and and pull themselves out of it, the better it is. Because when I show up as a buyer, I want to be confident that that's a stable, profitable, good company, even if I pluck the seller out. Welcome to the Manufacturing Executive Podcast, where we explore the strategies and experiences that are driving mid-sized manufacturers forward. Here, you'll discover new insights from passionate manufacturing leaders who have compelling stories to share about their successes and struggles. And you'll learn from B2B sales and marketing experts about how to apply actionable business development strategies inside your business. Let's get into the show. Welcome to another episode of the Manufacturing Executive Podcast. This show is being brought to you by our sponsor, Cadenas Part Solutions. I'm Joe Sullivan, your, your host and a co-founder of the industrial marketing agency, Gorilla 76. Somewhere along the way, any successful business owner will have a moment where the question pops into their head, what's, for, what's next for the company after me? Many of the B2B manufacturers that my firm has consulted over the years are second or third generation family-owned businesses. And in those cases, sometimes the succession plan is pretty clear. Other times that path isn't as obvious. But regardless, transitioning ownership and leadership of a company isn't something that happens overnight. And there are so many different ways to do it. Today, my guest is an expert on this exact topic. So let me introduce Nick Jackson, principal of the Mendota Group. The Mendota Group, based in Madison, Wisconsin, acquires small to medium-sized manufacturing, distribution, and service businesses that are either either privately owned or subsidiaries or divisions of publicly owned companies. Their objective is to make acquisitions and enable management to significantly enhance value through increased operating efficiency, internal growth, and acquisition. Nick personally has a wide array of business experience that includes operations, finance, and sales within the banking and telecommunications industries. Prior to joining the Mendota Group, Nick was part of an executive leadership team that launched a competitive telecommunications company with networks throughout the Midwest. He brings his broad operations experience leading this fast-paced, growth-focused organization to help make the companies in the Mendota Group portfolio successful. Nick, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks. Thanks for having me. You bet. My pleasure. Well, Nick, before we start digging through all the knowledge and experience you've got stored up there in your brain as a (laughs) a private equity guy that's been working specifically in the industrial sector for years, can you give us kind of a brief rundown of just how you got to where you are today and what Mendota Group's all about? Yeah. As you said in the intro, we're, we're all about buying small manufacturing, entrepreneurial manufacturing companies where owner of the company is looking to transition into a next phase of their life. And our objective is to get in there as active investors and work with the management team to kind of take that company to its next level, whether that's get growing through acquisition or growing organically. And most of the companies we're looking at are companies that have been owned by the entrepreneur for quite some time. The entrepreneur may have founded the company and they're really, you know, successful, profitable companies, but the entrepreneur had kind of achieved the level of a size that they were satisfied with. And so that entrepreneur may have slowed down their growth. 
they kind of went into a little bit of a, let, we call it a lifestyle business. And we really like those opportunities because we believe that we can then take that great work that the entrepreneur did and kind of jump off from that point to add more thought and strategy around growth. And the reason I got into the business is, as you mentioned in the intro, I'd been in some other high growth businesses and did some startups with some other guys uh, that I was partners with. And I just always really liked the challenges that come with trying to build a growth company, not just the sales and marketing challenges, but how do you build up processes to scale and grow? How do you find people to that fit the DNA of a growth company? How do you fine tune strategy and keep people focused? So when I met my partner, he was just starting off trying, Curtis Burgess, he was just starting off looking at buying these small companies. And I had a background in helping to build strategies and, and put in place processes for growth. And the two of us got together and said, hey, we think we can really use each of our skill sets and experiences to find these entrepreneurial companies and take them to that next level. That's great. You and I were talking recently um, as we were kind of thinking about doing an episode together here, you were, you were talking about different options for manufacturing ownership as they look at transitioning their business. And in particular, you touched on the difference between a financial buyer, a strategic buyer, and an right. active investor, which was kind of, you know, it was, it was interesting for me to hear about that. And I think our, <clears throat> our audience would benefit from you kind of unpacking the difference between these different types of potential yeah. buyers or investors. Yeah. Yep. So anytime... Now, you know, again, we're not talking about the, the uh, sale of like a big public company that we'd see in the newspaper. We're talking about sale of companies that, let's say, are under 100 million of revenue or under even 50 million of revenue, which is the world we live in. So when that person or a couple partners, when they're thinking about selling, you know, there are some natural options and they're the buckets you were just referring to. So one, I, the way I like to explain it is, the first bucket would be what we in our industry call a strategic buyer. So this is somebody who it's likely a company that exists in the industry already, un probably knows of or could easily know of the company that's selling. You know, they may either be competitors or they may do business with each other or they kind of cross paths in channels or cross customers. And so this strategic buyer is a company that's in the industry. They're looking to grow through acquisition. They have criterion around customers and products and, and talent that they're trying to achieve through acquisition. And they would look to buy the company and, you know, either roll it up under the company, under the, the parent company or run it separately. It kind of depends on the situation. But, but again, it's more of somebody who's buying the company because they see a strategic advantage to staying in their industry through acquisition. So that's one bucket. The second bucket is what we generally refer to as a financial buyer. So this would be people like us or others, like a private equity fund or uh, fundless sponsors or active investors like Curtis and I. And these are people who are doing an acquisition strictly as an investment. So we don't have a particular interest in the industry. We don't have, we don't own a company that, you know, is in that space that the seller is in. 
but we're, we're looking for opportunities where we can deploy our capital, just like you know any other investment, and we see a great opportunity to put that capital in, grow that business, improve the value of it, and someday eventually exit it through a sale or otherwise to make a good return on investment. So it's, it's more of a financial growth investment strategy and we're trying to get into that industry industry on our own. And, and interestingly enough, I should just say that guys like us, private equity groups or, or, or active investors like Curtis and I, we can kind of actually play in both of those categories. So for instance, we have done 17 transactions in the 20 years we've been in business and we're just about to do two more transactions. So we're about one a year. Well, there are many of those transactions, they've been that financial category where we're buying a company from scratch, it's a new industry to us, we're putting in new capital, and we're starting from scratch. But there are other times where we've acted like a strategic, meaning we already owned a company in a space, and then we found an acquisition that we thought was a great add-on to our company, and so through our our existing investments in a company, we went and did an acquisition as a strategic buyer. So you can kind of play in both buckets, but that's how people generally think of it in buckets. Great. Well, what talk about a little bit about the process for you know ownership at a manufacturing company as they consider and then begin working with an outside investor or buyer. What does it look like to you know seek someone out and then to actually start the process of maybe vetting an investor and, and beginning to work with them? Yeah. You know, it's not a short process. If, if it's going to be done well and it's going to be thorough and it's going to, you know, produce an end result that's beneficial to both the seller and the buyer and the employees and all that, it takes time. So, I, you know, my advice to anybody thinking about selling is be prepared to kind of think through this process in a, in a fairly, you know, could be a year or more to prepare for it. You know, mo- there there's a lot of different ways it can go, but, but the, the way we're used to, and, and a lot of people in our space are used to is the, the seller, you know, comes to their personal decision of, Hey, it's time for me to move on for whatever that reason is. And there's a myriad of reasons people could say it's time to go. But once they get to that point and they've worked with their family and their advisors and they say, Hey, it's really time for me to consider an option. The, 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 the best way for them to proceed is to usually seek out an advisor that is going to help them get through this process. It is, this is a very, it's a complicated process. It's an emotional process because somebody's selling their business, which is very, very, you know, important. There's people and employees involved. There's confidentiality involved. So in the end, you know, I always encourage sellers to really seek out somebody who is an active advisor and does these types of transactions on a regular basis because they can be very, very helpful in guiding that seller through the process. So that's step one is find an advisor. And those advisors, we can talk about that separately, but you know, those people are called, sometimes they're referred to as investment bankers, sometimes they're referred to as business brokers, but you know, they're not that hard to find, a little bit of Google searching, a little bit of working through your network. You know, certainly any of your listeners, I could help them with, you know, ideas. But there are, there are people out there 
who are do a great job of, of working for the seller to assess not only the, the value of the business, but also to market the business to the right kinds of buyers, which is really important. So find, a, find an advisor. The next step is really for that advisor to work closely with the company. And sometimes this can take years, but, but it can also go quickly. But usually once they've, re- they've established a relationship with an advisor who, underst- who you know, is a good fit for them, then that advisor is going to spend time having done you know, lots of these transactions. They're going to spend time with the seller getting to know the business. What are your customers? Where's your revenue come from? What are the challenges in your industry? What kind of financial performance do you have? And it's that advisor, because they've done a lot of transactions, they can put themselves in the, in the shoes of us as a buyer. And then they can give advice to the seller to say, look, you know, your company is a really nice company, but you know, anybody that's going to buy it is probably going to ask these questions. And so let's fix some of that stuff and address it and make sure we got good answers for that so that when we go to the market, you're going to get the best value because there isn't, you know, things that a seller or buyer finds in the course of trying to buy it. So they'll work with them. They'll do some analysis of financials. They'll get to know the business and they'll kind of clean up, let's say, anything that, you know, could be improved. It's like fixing up the things in your house before you put it on the market just to tighten things up. Yeah, good analogy. Makes sense. Yeah. So then once the advisor's done that and they're ready to go to market per se, that's when now that advisor will actually put together a very professional document. It's usually a book or PDF that gets emailed out. It's got all kinds of information about the company. It's essentially a marketing piece to talk about the company, the industry, the employees, the financials, all the stuff that guys like us care about. And then that advisor also has a, a Rolodex or a network of guys like us. And so now that advisor is going into marketing mode and they're saying, okay, I've got this business to sell. I got this great seller who's ready to sell. I know all this information about the company, which I put into this document. And now I'm going to go find the types of buyers that are a good fit for this seller. Who will, who will take care of the business long-term? Who will take care of the employees? Who will, whatever. And they, with they through their process of emails and networks and phone calls, they find guys like us. So we get called, you know, multiple times a week. Hey, I got this business. What do you think? They'll send us the information. It's still kind of confidential and private. We don't know the name of the business. If it's something we're interested in, we sign a non-disclosure agreement. They get us more information. Now we're starting to show up in the process, and the advisor is working with us and trying to vet who is a legitimate interested party. Then once they've kind of narrowed that down to, I don't know, five to 10 parties who are genuinely interested in getting to know the business, that's when the advisor will say, okay, for these people, we know who's interested. They've given us kind of an indication what they think the value might be. Let's get them in here to meet the seller, the team, see the facility. So at that point, a short list of potential buyers are coming in. They're looking at the company. They're looking at the facility. They're learning. And then at the, after that process, it gets narrowed down to, okay, who wants to put an offer in to actually you know, potentially buy the company? That's called the letter of intent. So now if we've made it to the point of that process where we want to submit a letter of intent to actually buy the company, we submit it. The advisor reviews that with the seller. 
It's essentially just like looking at offers on your house. He picks the one based on not only the value, but how he met us, he likes us, he doesn't like us, whatever. He's making picking a match. And then the seller will sign that letter of intent to say, yes, I'd like to get married to you or sell to you. And at that point, there's usually about a 90-day process of you know, going through due diligence, negotiating agreements, all kinds of paperwork and stuff. But essentially, the buyer and the seller say, we are going to work together. We're going to go through 90 days of, of selling the company. And then you know, there's a day of close and we exchange checks and we're off and running. Great. Really great breakdown there. I mean, very clear step-by-step process. You should write an article about it. <laughs> well, the, the reason I say that, and this is my word to the wise, my, my advice to all of your listeners who are potential sellers, a good advisor, they aren't necessarily cheap. They, they get paid based on the value of the business. And that's a negotiated rate. That's a separate topic, but, but they, they have a cost. And we've seen a lot of investors or a lot of entrepreneurs who they look at that percentage and that a rate and they're like, man, that seems like a lot of money. I don't understand. That seems expensive. I could sell this by myself. I know people. And I'm just here to tell you, having done this many times, there is a ton of value in having somebody who's a professional advisor in the middle who is there for the purpose of representing the seller. And while the price tag may look expensive at the beginning, that when the process is over, it'll be much more professionally done. It'll be much less headache to the seller. And I will guarantee them that they'll look back and say, I'm glad I had that guy in the middle. So I just encourage everybody to, you know, I think most entrepreneurs think, oh, if I want to sell my company, I'll reach out to some people I know that could be buyers and get a sense for the value. And that's, that may seem like the right way to do it, but it will, it will not lead to good information. And it's much better to go through a process of vetting or interviewing good advisors and then let them go through that process. And so, you know, I always offer to people, hey, I got We've got advisors that we respect, we love doing business with, they, we think they're really stand-up people that treat these transactions very well, and I would encourage a seller to spend more time in interviewing those people versus trying to find buyers. Yeah, I think that's great advice. It's, you know, it's something that's applicable in, in so many different levels of running a business, right? From you know, your accounting to your, your marketing to finance, like there are things, yeah, you can do it yourself. You can figure it out. But the, the more you lean on an expert to and, and bring in true experts to handle it, you look back and say, okay, yeah, that, that was the right choice. And, and that's geez, right. What, what more important decision than when you're transitioning your business to, to lean on an expert, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, and you know, just uh, I think it's a great point. No matter what the expertise is, financial, marketing, sales, selling a business, you know, there's a lot of people that can do the job, but they're still people and they got to fit with you. They got to fit with you as a seller. They got to fit with your style as a company. And so, you know, it's important to vet that and take time to find somebody who you think you can trust and who matches your, your style as a seller. We're going to take a 30-second breather here for a word from our sponsor, Cadenas Part Solutions. Let's talk real quick about getting specified. Are you a component manufacturer? Maybe you sell architectural products to parks or large facilities. 
Engineers and architects need models of your products to test fit in their designs. That's where Cadenas comes in. They help you create a dynamic, shareable CAD catalog you put on your website. Designers can preview the product from any angle and download it in the format they prefer. They get the data they need for their design and you get a fresh lead to add to your marketing pipeline. To get one of your products turned into an online 3D model for free, use the code EXECUTIVE at partsolutions.com slash executive. Well, you talked about sort of what happens leading up to a sale. How about after a deal has closed? What's, yeah. you know, in the case of an active investor, a professional buyer like, like Mendota Group, where you actually are going to play a role in after the sale, what, what does that look like? What is the interaction yeah. and engagement between your organization and your, your acquisition actually look like? Yeah. So, you know, as I said earlier, we're, a fin- we're in that bucket of financial buyer typically. Okay. But, but even in that bucket of financial buyer, we look different or we believe we're different because we're fairly active, very active investors. Mm-hmm. And Curtis and I, we really enjoy not just doing the transaction and making an investment, but we actually take our role as an investor very seriously. We really like to get to know the team, get to know the business, and then hopefully get to a point where we can be even helpful with some ideas and thoughts on where we're taking the business. Mm-hmm. So on the day we close, meaning close the transaction, fund it, they're literally, we are going to stand up in front of all the employees with the seller and make an announcement to the employees saying, hey, I've sold the business. Here's the new guys, the Mendota Group, Nick Jackson, Curtis Burgess, and you know, just kind of make an introduction. And then we're literally going to walk around that day with the seller there, and we're just going to spend time getting to know people, just shaking hands, saying hi, and just letting people know that this isn't the boogeyman. Because for a lot of employees who aren't you know, sophisticated in business or whatever, and they're just working on the shop floor, they hear the seller is, you know, most times they know the seller is likely getting ready to sell because the seller is getting to that age. They may not be showing up every day at the office. They may be getting property down in Phoenix or Florida. You know what I'm saying? They, people are smart. They can see, hey, the owner of the company's getting ready for retirement. And unless that owner is being real obvious to, hey, my son or daughter's taking it over or my other partner, unless that's real transparent, those employees are going to start in the back of their mind going, man, when's he going to sell? How's that going to go? Will I have a job? It's nerve wracking for people who are just employees. So what we try to do on that first day is after we announce the sale, we try to make it very clear to people because it's factual and it's true that nothing's really changed. We're, we are the new owners, but we bought the company because we value the company and because we want it to continue for a long, long time. And so we're not the boogeyman. We're not just the new guy buyers. We're real people from the Midwest, you know, and, and we're going to be involved in the business and they'll see us around and we have names and families and, and it's just keep it real. We're just kind of moving forward. So that's kind of the first real big step. And then, you know, really the first six months of our ownership, we do, we try to do as little as possible changing things. What we're trying to do is, is, you know, Curtis and I, we kind of split up our company. So one of us will be the point person 
and we'll try to be on site at the company, you know, a couple days a week for like six months, getting to know people, spending time with the management team, trying to learn more about the customers, trying to more learn more about the product, you know, getting to know who are the key leaders in the organization, just trying to get smarter about the company so that beyond that six months, when the company started to deal with things, then, you know, hopefully we've got a little more insight about the company and the products and the customers that we can offer insights that are helpful to that management team. So that, there's that learning phase. And then after the learning phase, then we really start to, you know, come up with, okay, what's going to be our strategy for growth? So usually that means the old, the prior owner is now moving into their next phase of life, retirement, whatever. And we're likely going to bring in a CEO, somebody who's at a different stage of their career, who's probably going to be growth oriented, who's got experience in other companies growing them. And we'll bring that person in and they're going to be the new CEO. They're going to run the thing day to day. And then they're going to start to build the strategy for the future of what, where, where are we going to grow and just all the things that normal business people do. And then we'll at that point kind of move to the background. And while we won't be there maybe a couple days a week, every week, we'll start to be there once a month. We, we spend time talking to the CEO on a regular basis, but we'll meet with the management teams once a month and we talk about financials and key objectives. And now we get into more of a rhythm of like a monthly management review. And, you know, that's kind of how we do it until we decide that it's time for us to move on. It's good. And what's that life cycle usually like where you, you, you know, are inside the company helping grow them before you yourself decide it's, it's yeah. time to exit? Yeah, it's a good question. You know, we always kind of tell people based on companies we've sold, we tend to own things for seven to 10 years at least. You know, we don't have a set day. We need to be out of it. We view every investment we make like any other investment you would make. If, mm-hmm. if we're in the business and we feel like it's got room to grow and the team is really awesome and they've got a great growth strategy. And we think that where the thing sits today, it can double again because they can grow it. We're going to stay in it because mm-hmm. why, why would I take my right, investment right. out of that and try to find something else? If we feel like we've grown it and we've done as much as we can and we can't do much more and it's time for the next buyer to come in and help, then that's when we'll typically look to sell. But, you know, I would say, you know, growing a company, coming up with the strategy, getting all the right people aligned, that stuff doesn't happen overnight. So, you know, seven to 10 years is a typical scenario. Sure. So let's pretend I'm a, I'm, you know, the owner of a manufacturing company I might, might be listening right now and I'm starting to look down the road three or five years or maybe even a little further down the road when, you know, thinking about what, when it might be time for me to transition out, you know, what, what kind of information should I be gathering now or starting to think about just, you know, kind of looking out onto the horizon a bit and, and are there, you know, specific resources you'd point people to, to just, just so they can educate themselves and be prepared for when that day comes. Yeah. Good question. Again, I would go back to my comment about advisor. I know a lot of sellers who have, who by the time we bought the company, they had known the advisor they used for like five years. So if a set, I would suggest to a seller that if he's thinking about potentially selling the company, even if it's three to five years from now, 
I'd even go through the process of meeting some advisors now and getting some of those names because there's a really, there's a great chance that if, if he kind of focused on an advisor to potentially sell the company somewhere down the road, what that advisor will want to do is for free, spend time getting to know the business and just getting to know that seller over the course of a couple, three years. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, it might be just have coffee or have dinner or whatever, but they cultivate an, a relationship and an understanding of the business. And over time, they can give guidance to that seller about, hey, think of this, gather that, be prepared, you know, three, four years down the road. So many of these advisors will say, look, I'd love to get to know you and get to know your business for three, four years before you even sign a contract that says you're going to pay me. So I, I, I definitely push people that way. Things that they should get to be thinking about. I mean, there's a lot, but the quickies, I would say that they definitely should spend some time making sure that their financial records are in order. Get a professional accounting firm in there. You know, if they don't want to pay for an audit, they should at least be prepared, uh, paying for professionally compiled financial statements. When guys like us show up, we want to know that we're not just looking at a tax return, that we're actually looking at a set of financial statements that were prepared and reviewed by a professional accounting firm. Mm -hmm. You know, it would be ideal if somebody could, if they're going to sell their business that they've got three years of professionally prepared financials. That's, that's something to be thinking about. I think that they need to look at their management team and they need to really make sure that they've got a great management team in place. And they, they need to use somebody outside to give them objective opinions about what is a good management team. Because again, a, the value of a business is going to drop if, if the seller has to admit that when they leave, a bunch of information leaves the business, like customer relationships or technical information. So that seller needs to know, or they need to be able to convince a buyer that the people that are in place are generally capable and professional at continuing to run the business and that not too many either, you know, customer relationships or operational issues are relying on the seller being there. Because if that's the case, then the seller can't get away from the business. So making sure that team is really top notch and they're, they're locked into, or they're, they're brought into the loop of what's going on with the business and, where they're headed with the strategy and how to handle customers. That's an important part too. You know, taking care of things like key equipment purchases, you know, you don't want to sell business when you got equipment. That's not good. That's basic stuff. Most entrepreneurs know the value of good equipment. And then, you know, the last thing is everybody who buys a company, they want to know that there's an opportunity for growth. And so there's two issues there. One is don't be a business that has just one or two customers that are 60, 70, 80% of your business. If you have a lot of customer concentration, that's going to raise concerns for buyers because we're going to say, well, what if you leave a seller and that customer goes, well, I I liked working with Joe. Now I'm out of here. And that creates risk for us. So they should do as much as they can to build as broad of a customer base to show diversity for the future. 
And that's a healthy business practice anyway, but it's definitely healthy to convince a buyer that there's not risk. And then, you know, the other thing is to really make sure that they've got their head around the market they're in and the types of customer potential that's out there. It's not that they have to be actively selling into those markets, but they got to be able to explain to us, why do you do business? Why do people, you know, buy from you? What's important about you? And how do we, you know, double that into the future? So kind of getting their head around that value proposition, as you and I have talked yeah. about, is, you know, they got to at least take a shot at trying to align that. That's all great stuff. I mean, and, and everything you just touched on, these sort of, you know, quick fire, here's the, the stuff to get in order. I mean, this is the stuff you just want to be doing anyway, right? Like, exactly. This is, I, I don't remember who said it, but I, I received some bit of advice along the way, you know, run your business at all times like you're looking to sell your business. And, you know, yeah. if you just think this way, having the right people in place, having your positioning straight, who do we help and how, what value do we create? What's that you know, value proposition? Like you said, having your, your financials in order and having good advisors to help you with that stuff. All, all of that stuff is just, it's key to running a business anyway. And hopefully, you know, people listening are thinking, yeah, I mean, we've, we've got, it's got our stuff in order, but if we don't, well, it's, it's probably regardless of where we are in our life cycle, it's time to start doing that right. You know? Well, yeah. And, and I, if, if you don't mind, I'll, I'll accentuate that point. Yeah, please. This, this concept of a lifestyle business that I've talked to you about, mm-hmm. It's, it's not a critical comment. It's just a factual comment. And, and what we mean when we say lifestyle business is we're talking about a business where the owner or owners have, have become satisfied with the level that the business got to, meaning that business has grown to a point where it's large enough and it's stable enough and it produces enough income or wealth for that owner that the owner has achieved their financial you know, objectives, which by the way, is an unbelievable accomplishment. And, you know, all those (laughs) entrepreneurs should be, you know, should be commended for getting there. But there's a natural point where if you're in your sixties and you're, you're, you know, your company's operating well, you got a couple key customers, things are good. You're making good profit. You're headed into, you got a good lifestyle. That business now it's very often that that owner is very satisfied with the situation and doesn't really, how do I want to say this? Doesn't really bring their management team into the decision-making of where is this business going to go? Because essentially they're saying, look, I've done great stuff with this business. My family's taken care of. I got great employees. I pay them well. I don't care about growth. I'm good. Mm -hmm. But what, what naturally happens then is if that seller steps back and says, okay, how much of this day-to-day decision-making or whatever is on me, he's going to quickly realize, he or she's going to quickly realize that almost every key decision, financial decision, whatever, is running over his, his desk and that his team is very limited in what they know or, the, or that they're directing the company. And I would say that if they want to sell the business, the sooner they can get that team more into the day-to-day of the business and and pull themselves out of it, the better it is. Because when I show up as a buyer, I want to be confident that that's a stable, 
profitable, good company, even if I pluck the seller out. And so that process of saying, can I pluck myself out as a seller? I would ask, I would tell the seller, either through an advisor or a trusted friend or something, to really have somebody say, are you really, you know, able to pluck yourself out? Does this business, is it a healthy, growing, standalone business by itself? And, you know, I've had many conversations, I've said this to you, if you ever have people that are in that position and they want some ideas of, you know, what that means, I've had lots of conversations with entrepreneurs and, you know, it's very quick for an outside set of fresh eyes to see where that isn't. He's not prepared to pluck himself out and getting a couple of those eye openers. I think sometimes, you know, it gives an entrepreneur a couple, three years to kind of, you know, update or, or improve that situation. I really love that piece of advice. And it's something that I've thought about in my own company too. You know, how, if I were to disappear, which I don't have any intention of that happening, but would this business go on without me and my business partner, John, you know, the same thing, like can, the more you can remove yourself from being a necessary part of this company being successful and profitable and self-sustaining, you know, the, the, you need to make it happen. So I really love that nugget. Well, yeah, and I, I was going to just add one more piece there. Yeah. A lot of times entrepreneurs are anxious about being open and honest with their employees or their key leaders, let's say. Mm-hmm. They're anxious about starting to talk about the sensitive topic of, hey, I might be selling the business. Mm-hmm. But again, my advice to them is if you aren't talking about it, but you're at that stage of your life where it's likely going to happen, mm-hmm. they're already thinking about it. Yeah. So, so yeah. don't think that they're not thinking about it because they are, and they might even be nervous about it. Mm-hmm. And the sooner you bring a couple key employees in and you, in a very professional but discreet way, say, hey, I am thinking about this process. It's going to be a multi-year preparation, but I want you as a trusted leader of the organization to elevate your role so that you can be a valued asset to the business for when I eventually exit, Mm -hmm. that not only is going to help create that environment where the seller can pluck himself out, but it's also going to diminish the concerns and worries of those key people. Because again, in the back of their mind, they're thinking, well, Joe's going to sell the business one day. When is that happening? And do I have a job? So it really is valued to pick a few of those people, bring them into your confidence and work out a transition plan of what role they play in that process. Yeah, that's really smart advice. I like it a lot. Yeah. Nick, great conversation today. This was fantastic. I, you know, I learned a lot myself listening to this. And I think anybody, any business owners out there, manufacturing leaders who are, you know, whether the, their plans are right here on the horizon or, or further down the road, there's, there's a lot they can take from what you were able to share here. So really appreciate you, you coming yeah, on. Yeah, I'm glad I could help and always always excited to talk about what we do on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, well, t- tell listeners here where they can connect with you online, what's the best way to get in touch and, and how they can learn a little more about Mendota Group as well. Yep, our website, themendotagroup.com. You can kind of see what we're up to and what, what our portfolio. We have six companies today, so you can kind of see that. I can be reached at Jackson at the Mendota group.com. Mendota is spelled M-E-N-D-O-T-A. Jackson at the Mendota group.com. And they can see my other contact information out there. I'm also on LinkedIn under Dick Jackson. 
so yeah, I'd love to, you know, if, if anybody wants to reach out and talk further, uh, happy to do so. I, did, I would uh, encourage anybody listening to, to do exactly that. And, you know, Nick's got a lot of great resources, like he talk, talked about advisors and, and his own knowledge. So it never hurts to just start the conversation, right? That's right. Well, before we wrap it up, I want to say a big thank you once again to our sponsor, Cadenas Part Solutions, for helping make this episode a reality. And Nick, thanks a ton for being a guest on the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Joe. It really was fun. You bet. As for the rest of you, I hope to catch you on the next episode of The Manufacturing Executive. You've been listening to The Manufacturing Executive Podcast. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you'd like to learn more about industrial marketing and sales strategy, you'll find an ever-expanding collection of articles, videos, guides, and tools specifically for B2B manufacturers at gorilla76.com learn. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.